You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Conley, here with Megan Gower. And to start, so the first episode we recorded on August 19th. August 20th, Megan decided not to tell me, was her birthday. <laughs> so, happy birthday, Megan. Please inform me of any important dates coming up. <laughs> Thanks, we'll do going forward. <laughs> I feel like the podcast launch was more monumental than my birthday. I don't know. After you turn 21, I feel like it becomes not exciting anymore. <laughs> we had a debate about this at one of the games about like what happens when you get to each of the birthdays after 21. And they really kind of start to sparse out. Like 22 for me was just completely irrelevant. Like I think I watched UConn beat UCF at the XL Center. Uh, <laughs> what else? Then 23... 23 is Jordan year, so you got yeah. that going for you. 24 – oh, wait, no, no, no. Tw- go back to 22. 22, you get to play Taylor Swift's 22 oh, yeah. the entire day long. The only important right. thing about turning 22. <laughs> Having lived with three girls the past year that uh, all turned 22 in that span, I heard that song <laughs> a lot. Then 24 – 24 is pretty irrelevant. I don't think there's anything there. 25 which, – which year is the one that you get to be – get to rent a car without yeah that's 25 extra. So, yeah, okay 20. so now you can rent a car well I, i'm 26 now so i'm just oh, irrelevant again it's i okay. definitely knew that <laughs> well now fair. you can doubly rent a car there we go <laughs> all right so let's get into it so today day of recording tuesday the big east announced that the women's basketball conference tournament is going to be moving to Mohegan Sun where the Americans held it the last seven years. Have you covered the tournament at Mohegan Sun at all? I don't think I've actually made it down to cover it. I've been to the tournament at Mohegan at least once or Uh, twice. You're missing a great time. And by a great time, I mean they have these like giant cookies that are phenomenal. (laughs) Mohegan Sun is the best place to cover the game. Because like, so a little background knowledge. At UConn games, if you cover for across pretty much all sports, well, basketball and hockey pretty much, because football you get a full meal up in the press box, but they give you this boxed lunch, they call it, and it's a sandwich that's been made between like two weeks ago and like <laughs> the day before, you can never really tell, and then it's got a box of Cape Cod potato chips in it and two grandma's cookies, which are an extremely polarizing topic. Megan, do you have an opinion on the cookies, good or bad? And they're just mediocre, in my opinion. <laughs> but like, they do a job, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not the worst thing else. They're like, fine to eat. Yeah, but yeah. like, if you have other options, you're gonna go with them. And then, yeah, that's all you get for your food. And then sometimes, if you're lucky, they'll have like snacks out and bottled water. 
So at Mohegan, at least for Sun Games, because I've covered a couple Sun Games, they have like <laughs> a full meal spread out like of like good food. Like one time they had like steak, right? I've yeah. had steak when I've been there. And then they have those like Coke machines that like you can pick what soda you want and then it gives you all the different flavors. Those are great. And I think they also have the giant cookies at those too. So it's a very similar thing for the conference tournament. Either way, I think Mohegan Sun is just pretty much a great place to host a conference tournament. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the arena is a good size. It's a good environment. Obviously, you get a lot of people that will come down from it as far as UConn fans because it's not too far. Good place to go. A lot of good food outside of the arena as well. So get a good fan base draw as well. So good place to host a tournament. Obviously, I don't think it's surprising that the Big East moved it to wherever UConn was going to be in terms of just trying to draw the biggest crowd. Obviously, UConn's going to do that. So, um, but yeah, exciting that it's going to be close to home. I don't think there's ever a bigger like open secret than this moving to Mohegan Sun. People have pretty much been talking about it since the Big East move happened, and it's taken this long for it to get announced. So. That's just what I thought when it was funny. Like I saw the news come across and it's like, oh yeah, that hasn't actually been announced yet. Wow. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. That so, was kind of my reaction to it. I was like, oh, I thought we already like established that this was <laughs> happening, but I guess it's Prov- now official. <laughs> right. The Providence AD dropped it like two months ago or something. <laughs> it's just been completely open. So UConn into the Big East, we could go into that a little bit, but obviously it's a big step up in competition. Not saying it's, the greatest conference like for example the men's conference for basketball pretty much all the recruiting classes except for providence because lol (laughs) is in the top 35 in the country right now so even though they don't have those historic powers the syracuse pits of the world it's still one of the better basketball conferences in the country i don't think the same is really true on the women's side because the women obviously had notre dame who was a national power there was rutgers who was always a good program there was louisville always a top 10 so when you lose those teams it's kind of hard but at the same time it's a step up from the american and it's a pretty decent mid-major conference right yeah, I'd agree with that. It's for sure a step up from American in terms of you have at least teams that are going to challenge UConn somewhat on the court um, compared to American where we saw them basically beat everyone easily without trying too hard. Um, so it'll be a good step up in that regard. I think, you know, the top teams in the conference, they typically play anyway, right? We play DePaul as right. probably the top of the Big East every year. We play DePaul every year anyway. So um, now we get them hopefully twice on the schedule. So better than you know two times against east carolina or whatever we had before but yeah a strong mid-major conference it does lack those kind of powerhouse teams that we we're talking about but i mean in terms of uconn's considerations right like Gino's going to score schedule those games anyway so you're still going to get those games on the schedule you're going to be playing teams that are at least uh, a handful of them will be tournament teams through the conference stretch Something that couldn't be said for the American because the chances that a team other than UConn was getting in, maybe like a USF was getting in, but that was pretty much it. So at least they're playing some more teams that are at the level of what they'll face in the NCAA tournament during the conference stretch this season. Right. And I think the potential for the teams in the Big East is definitely a lot higher because no team in the American except like UCF had good teams but they were never like an elite team. I think the Big East, you have a lot higher potential to actually become 
maybe not a national championship contender because there's just so few of those in the country, but at least someone that can at least challenge UConn. Like DePaul used to be back in the day when they were more of a perennial top 10 team, whereas now they've kind of drifted to be a top 25 team. But Marquette's a rising program. Obviously, DePaul's still around. They might even benefit from the addition of UConn. And you've got other schools who have good basketball traditions, even if the women's program hasn't quite caught up. But as we've seen in recent years, like women's programs can kind of come out of nowhere if they make the right hire and they actually invest in the facilities that they need to. And a lot of times it's just, you need to get one really, really good player to come. And all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think we in part saw that with Oregon, how quickly they rose from kind of being, you know, really not much of anything Sabrina's freshman year to basically being the favorite to win the national championship by the time she was graduating this year. Um, and I also think it's important what you said about how, you know, UConn coming in can help elevate teams like DePaul. I think we saw that people talk about that a lot in America and how like, having UConn on your schedule and the opportunity to play against UConn is a great factor when they're recruiting and adding that to kind of the Big East Conference for those teams can be a factor and up, kind of upticking their ability to recruit, which will obviously make for better teams that UConn can face and hopefully be challenged by in the conference. Right. Oregon was actually the exact team I had in mind when I was <laughs> mentioning that. So let's stick to our uh, podcast goal of making wild predictions that really have no basis at all. So UConn didn't lose in seven years in the American Athletic Conference, 139-0. No one ever really got that close except Tulane in 2017. Uh, I imagine UConn's going to be in this conference until the sun burns out. So <laughs> eventually they have to lose. When's your prediction of when UConn loses that first Big East game? That's tough. So I don't think it's this year, right? I just don't see any of those teams kind of being at a level that they're going to be challenging UConn to that extent this year, which then brings up, okay, so now you're talking like Paige's sophomore year. I don't think if you ask Paige, Paige would say <laughs> they're not losing at her time <laughs> right. at UConn. Uh, I, to me, I think it's something that's going to take a few years. Right? You're gonna These teams will get better and they're going to, challenge UConn more but if you're going to see an uptick in recruiting like that's not something that happens instantaneously it's going to take a couple of years for that to kind of kick in and take effect so I'd say maybe you know year after the page era ends which is four years like I could still see them not losing a conference game until then right the tough thing is that they've got just such a ridiculous amount of talent coming through even if you like Paige Beck, if Paige Beckers didn't exist, they would still have an unbelievable amount of talent this year, next year, and it's lining up like 2022. They're going to have a lot of people coming into. So, assuming no one in the in the Big East, sorry, rises to become a legitimate contender, I have a really hard time seeing them losing a game with the teams that they're projected to have the next few years, unless like a two lane type thing happens. But I don't see any team in the conference beating UConn more than just UConn totally like shooting themselves in the foot the entire game like that Tulane game at least for five years maybe the maybe DePaul can really not I don't want to say revive because they are a good program but maybe DePaul can finally get that player that can get them over the top and they can really challenge for a final four and be one of those elite teams and they can finally beat UConn, or maybe Marquette really explodes. But as it's set up now, I what I'll say 2027, just to throw a date out there. 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. DePaul's always one of those interesting ones in that they just play such a strange style of basketball. They just, they move quickly. They chuck up so many threes that they kind of have the potential to shock anyone on any given night if they just hit a ton of those three-point shots. But a lot of things still have to go right for you to beat UConn with that game plan. And UConn has to let you play that game plan, which they don't tend to do. So um, yeah, I think 2027 sounds reasonable. Shout out to Dan Madigan, our one of our fellow editors at the UConn blog, who pretty much every single season, without fail, in our preseason women's basketball predictions, predicts DePaul to be whatever it is, like the upset game or like <laughs> the dark horse loss game every single year without fail, because it always falls on some like weird part of the schedule where it's like right before finals or it's right after like Notre Dame. But so shout out Dan, keep picking DePaul. One of these days you might be right. <laughs> All right, so with all that, there's not a whole lot to talk about. There hasn't been much news in the last two weeks, so we're going to go into an ad break, and then when we come back, we'll get into some WNBA talk. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we're back. So I have to issue in a correction from last episode. I said that UConn had never really had any busts in the WNBA. And someone quickly pointed out to me that Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis and Morgan Tuck probably both qualify as busts. Both were picked number three. Neither of them has really panned out for one reason or another. Ironically, they just switched teams this past offseason. Kalina from Seattle to the Sun and then Morgan Tuck from the Sun to Seattle. I mean, with Kalina, it's pretty much she was she finished her college career as the number one three-point shooter in college basketball history so obviously pretty big asset for a WNBA team to have a shooter like that but her shooting average is shoot is right around like 33 percent or so which if you need to be really good or if you're going to be a three-point shooter in the WNBA and that's all you're going to do you have to hit a lot of shots and she's just not doing that yeah, she hasn't really been able to fill that role for the Sun this year. I think that's probably what they were looking for her to do, right? They lost Strickland in the offseason, who was kind of that player that came in a lot off the bench and just hit three-point shots for them. And But Mosquito Lewis has not been able to do that for them this so far this year. So, yeah. Right. It, yeah, and I feel with Morgan Tuck, it's probably – you can correct me, but it seems like it's more the knee injuries are kind of taking their toll, or is she just really not fit in either? Yeah, I think part of it's the injuries. I think it's also important to point out that when she was in Connecticut, she's in a situation where they have a really had a really deep front court. Um, so there was, you know, there's a lot of players that you're coming up behind. You're coming up behind someone like John Cole Jones, who's if she played this season probably would have been an MVP candidate. And prior to that, Shanae Gumake. So you had a lot of big names in that front court that you're competing for minutes with. And then, of course, now she's in Seattle, which just is an extremely deep team all around. So there probably wasn't going to be a lot of opportunity for minutes. I feel like she's only, what, three years in at this point, has suffered through a lot of injuries. It might be a little early to say it's like a total bust in the right situation. She might be a role player on a team. But with the situation she's had so far, there really hasn't been that opportunity. 
Right, and you also have to think she's the number three player in the draft. So you're kind of expecting more value than just a role player. So I guess even if she doesn't totally bust out, it's still, I mean, I guess the Sun have already traded her, so it's over, but hasn't exactly worked out super well. Speaking of players who aren't doing so hot right now, Megan Walker. Yeah. What's going on there? She has not played a lot of minutes, which to me, I, don't, I just don't really understand what New York is doing, to be honest. It's like, okay, at this point, you're clearly not making the playoffs, so the game plan should probably be trying to figure out what you're going to do next season. And you have all these rookies that I can't imagine they're going to keep all of these rookies for next year. So trying to get the minutes and figure out where they fit into your rotation going forward, but that doesn't seem to be what's going on at all. To me, it's not shocking that Walker's not getting a ton of minutes. I mean, I would have said that she probably would have benefited from staying another year at UConn. Like, she has the potential to be a really good player at the next level. I just don't think she was quite there yet. Um, so it doesn't shock me that we're not seeing a ton of her. But also, that yeah, I don't understand what New York's doing. They might as well see what they could get from her at this point would be my kind of thought on that. So. Right. It seems like she could benefit from one of those Azure Stevens, Katie Lou Samuelson type trades where two teams just decide to swap young players that aren't really working out for either of them, but a change of scenery might do them good. Cause yeah, I think the general consensus when Megan Walker announced that she was leaving early was, huh, that's a little weird. She could probably use another year in college basketball, but even still she was the number 10 pick. So it's not, anything to sneeze at but her stats 11.9 minutes a game 3.7 points a game and like you said it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of room for all the rookies to stay around with new york i think it's how many rookies do they have seven eight yeah it's something it might even be more than that at this point i don't know because they've made a couple additions with people being out and whatnot but yeah there's a ton of rookies and then also just like positionally wise there's a lot of question marks there I feel like they have a million players that can play like the two or the three and then like no one to play the four or the five there's the game plan is just a lot of question marks I feel like and Walker's one of those players that's kind of in that three position right like he's not really ready to be playing the four at the WNBA level so there's a lot of kind of people that she's probably behind for that three spot especially if you consider next year when you've got you know, like an Asia Dirt back and you've got a and Sabrina back, you've got a really young kind of set of guards there that are kind of, they're going to play heavier to the guard lineup, probably play a smaller kind of three guard type setup a lot. So her fit in New York just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Right. Which is interesting because when they picked her, her like first comment was that New York was the place that she wanted to go. So I don't think she'd ever actually say it out loud now but i'd just be very interested to see what her thoughts are on new york now having played what half the season and with the way things are looking compared to when she got drafted but one of the things that i thought was more concerning than her stat line was walt hopkins was kind of on her about her effort saying that he didn't really think she was giving as much as she should have and that was kind of an issue throughout her time at uconn So I don't know if maybe she didn't have a great freshman year at UConn. So maybe she just really is one of those players that needs a full year of an adjustment when she makes this big of a change. But if you're struck on a bad team and you're not getting that many minutes, isn't like the one thing you should be doing is at least giving your effort to try and get on the court. Right. Yeah. You would think so. At least Um, that seems to kind of 
be something we saw from her. I mean, I would say even her first two years at UConn. I feel like even her sophomore year, she didn't really quite reach like that level that, you know, Gina's looking for. But yeah, it seems that if she could get like to that level that they're looking for in terms of effort, she would probably get the minutes because there's just really nothing New York's going to do at this point that's going to put them probably anywhere other than maybe second to last place if they get lucky in the league. So if she could give the effort they're looking for, she'd probably see the minutes just so they could get a better feel of what she could give them next year. But I do think she's a player that would probably just benefit from some kind of trade in the offseason going somewhere else where her role just makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, for sure. So then elsewhere in the WNBA, it was not the greatest week for former Huskies. I guess we should start with Azurae Stevens. She left the bubble with a knee injury, and it pretty much sounds like she's out for the year, right? Yeah, huge blow for Chicago, first of all, in terms of just like their playoff um, kind of trajectory. She's been a huge asset for them, has played really well all season, kind of closed that gap that they had last year in terms of like they weren't the greatest on the boards, uh, kind of needed a stronger presence in the front court, and they had that in her. Now they have lost that. So between that and then Diamond Shields also left the bubble for Chicago. So huge blows to um, Chicago's chances in the playoffs. But also for Azurea, she had a great season so far. She's been fantastic for them. So obviously upsetting to see that cut short as well. And it does sound like she's done for the season at this point, which, I mean, I think we've got a week left of like the regular season at this point. So, Right. So it sounds a little more dramatic than it is. Right. But I think last episode when we were doing the quick hitters, Azurea was your pick for the most improved behind Bria, right? Bria mm-hmm. Hartley. So it, yeah, it's just tough to see. You have such a great, third season right yeah you're having such a great third season with a new team things seem to be going well and then you just lose it like that speaking of Bria Hartley and another breakout season she's also done for the year the Phoenix Mercury announced that she tore her ACL which is brutal at this point in the year because it's so early in the season but depending on the ACL time frame that definitely knocks her out for Europe, right. which is where a lot of the money is. So that's tough in the first place. But then who knows how much of the WNBA season next year she'll even be able to come back for. for. Right. Yeah, obviously very unfortunate. We probably talked a lot about her on the last episode, but just incredible year for her so far. Um, she's been great kind of off the bench for the most part from Phoenix, but probably your favorite, at least prior to the injury, to win six women of the year. Fantastic season and putting up a ton of points. And then, yeah, it goes down with the ACL injury. So now that's the rest of the season. Phoenix will probably make the playoffs, but she obviously won't be playing in that. And then could go into next season, which she's obviously become a kind of critical asset on that team. So unfortunate for Phoenix and obviously for Hartley as well. Having said that, I do think it is kind of an example of how important the new WNBA CBA is because she signed a max contract, right? And that number went up pretty significantly in the new CBA. So it's definitely going to hurt financially that she's not going to be able to play in Europe. But at the same time, I think she's probably in a much, much better position to be able to deal with that blow on her new max deal with Phoenix under the new CBA as compared to what she was on previously, right? Agreed. I mean, it still hurts because even with the new max deal, like what is made over in Europe is significantly more, but where you're at at a max deal at this point is definitely plenty of money to like be fine for the year. It's not like 
the kind of the rookie deals where they're making, you know, 40, 50 K a year, they really need to go abroad to make money for the year. Um, so she should be in a much better situation than she would have been, you know, this time last year, if this had happened. Kind of keeping on the injury thread, but in better news, Sue Bird finally starting to come back. I think she was listed as probable by the storm. That would probably put the store if she's like fully healthy for the playoffs that probably puts the storm over the top especially with how many other injuries there have been throughout the league yeah i would agree with that i think last week i was like i won't wouldn't be surprised if the storm don't lose again and then i was like eating my words on that because they lost (laughs) back-to-back games one to indiana which was a total fluke and then one to Vegas, which is the number two team in the league, at least. But yeah. Exclusively with, to spite you, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. Um, but yeah, with having Super back, I don't really think you're going to see too many more losses for them. Hopefully, they won't make me eat my words again, but they should be the favorites. I think even without Super, they're probably the favorites to win the playoffs. Um, with Super back in the court, probably clear cut favorites as far as I'm concerned. So. Hopefully she's healthy for the playoffs because um, she's missed quite a bit of time, though, because this is the second time she's gone down with a knee injury, I think, this season. So um, hopefully they can keep her ha- healthy and you know, a lot of minutes accordingly going down the stretch here. I think they've already secured a playoff spot and probably are close to securing one of the buys. So um, manage that going down the stretch to keep her healthy for the playoffs. Someone on Twitter posed the question, could this be Sue Bird's last season? And I just wanted to be able to mention that to say, no, that's not allowed to happen. She's not allowed to retire ever, actually. Yeah, I'm not ready for that. 2020 has been horrible enough. We don't need to add that to the equation. That would just be the ultimate cherry. That might actually be the worst thing to happen in 2020 if Sue Bird retires. Yeah, and that's saying a lot considering how the series going. <laughs> So I was kind of thinking about it, and with possibly Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis and Morgan Tuck not lasting super long in the league, then obviously Diana and Sue are in the twilight years. I thought about, let's look ahead to the future of UConn and the WNBA. So I think Brianna Stewart's kind of going to take that mantle of not just the best UConn player in the league, but one of the best in the entire WNBA who knows what Maya Moore is going to do, but it does. I, I don't know. I would probably guess that she's coming back eventually. Then I think the links also kind of have the new generation of UConn players with Nafisa and Crystal. I think those two are obviously the two best players to come out of UConn in recent memory, not knocking anyone else, but they've just both been so good this year. Yeah, I think Nafisa especially. I don't know. I feel like I don't know what it is with her, but she's like perennially underrated. But she's been <laughs> absolutely great for the Lynx this year, especially now that Sylvia Fowles has been out for an extended period of time. So she's pretty much like the star of their front court. <laughs> I think she's been putting up like 20 and 10 pretty regularly, has been just phenomenal and a big part of why the Lynx are kind of still in the that top grouping of the standings, which I don't really think anyone expected them to be in going into this season. Um, and I think the one thing that we've seen from Nafisa this year, too, is she's kind of started to really add that three-point shot. She hasn't taken a ton of threes, but she's been taking them efficiently. And I think that was probably the biggest hole in her game in terms of, like, her game at the WNBA level. If she can really add an efficient three-point shot with some volume, she's going to be in, like, MVP conversations. 
she's already kind of like right on that line of where like she's probably like in that fifth sixth spot if you were ranking kind of players for this season granted it's a weird season with who is and isn't playing but she's going to be kind of one of those reoccurring all-stars reoccurring all WNBA team players and just been phenomenal for the Lynx this year yeah I think she's still got a little ways to go to get into upper echelon just because of how good Stewie's been right and also Asia Wilson and Candace Parker although I did find it funny that Candace Parker said about Crystal, like, no, she's a really good point guard. And that's coming from a Tennessee player to a UConn player. That, like, say what you want about Candace Parker. That was funny. Yeah, no, it was very funny. <laughs> that quote made me laugh as well when I saw it on Twitter earlier today. Um, but yeah, Crystal has also obviously been great. She was one rookie of the month today, which I feel like is like a, I don't know, I don't really understand why we're doing player of the month and rookie of the month when the season is like two uh, months long. Yeah, exactly. It's like one week in in July, the month of August, and like a week and a half in September. So it's basically the season. So I guess that should tell us that Crystal's probably the favorite to win rookie of the year, which is not news to anyone at this point, I think. But um, yeah, she's also had a fantastic season. Has been a really good point guard for the Lynx. And it kind of feels like last year. The rookie of the year race kind of feels like last year with Crystal's been the consistent performer, wire to wire. Not to say her highs haven't been high because they have been, but mm-hmm. she's kind of performed every single night. And last year, Nafisa was one of those players that kind of showed up every night. And then kind of trailing behind them, you've got someone like Kennedy Carter, who's put up really big numbers when she's played but she hasn't necessarily been on the court a whole lot. And it kind of reminds me of Arike Ogumbawale last year where she started off the season slow, but kind of caught fire at the end of the season and kind of forced her way into the rookie of the year race. But Nafisa got it just because she had the bigger, the longer span of consistency. So I don't know. Is that a fair comparison? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's a fair comparison. I think it's also a unique situation this year, right? Where like if Kennedy Carter met or missed two weeks of games in a regular season, it wouldn't be a big deal. Two weeks of this season is like I think there's like seven weeks total. So it's it's a big chunk of the season. But then I also think that her numbers are like she's had some big game nights, but she's also had some quiet nights. So when you look at the averages, they're right about where Crystal is. And then I think you add in the fact that Okay, Crystal's playing on the links, which are fourth in the country, or fourth, not fourth in the country, fourth in the league, whereas Carter is on Atlanta, which is kind of sitting at the bottom of the standings, just barely above New York. I don't know. I think that those numbers should count for more when you're contributing on a consistently good team versus a team at the bottom of the standings. Fourth in the country is technically correct. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back on kind of what got us here, I was thinking about UConn's future in the WNBA. So let's do a quick lightning round of UConn's current 11 player roster. How many WNBA picks any of the rounds do you think that this team eventually has? It's hard because you haven't seen so many of them play. I mean, obviously, exactly. Kristen and Liv are going to both be, I think they will make the WNBA in two years time when it's their turn to go. Um, from everything that we've heard about Avina, I would say she's in that conversation, but like we haven't seen Avina play for UConn, um, so it's kind of hard to tell there as well. 
but I would say unless unless something's lingering with her injury that kind of really holds her back she's probably in that conversation so that's three the rest is so hard especially because <laughs> I mean we've at least seen Aubrey and Autumn play but I feel like it's so early to tell like what level they're going to develop to and then the I mean everyone can anticipate the pages going there but the rest of the freshmen it's still such a toss-up right you never really know what's gonna happen right i'm holding you to a number though you have to give me a number out of 11 out of 11 gonna say like five or six it's so hard to tell like you think about like megan walker's class like that was like a pretty decent recruiting class at uconn and now number one yeah, and Walker's there. Will anyone else from that class be there? Probably not. I mean, I don't think we've seen anyone kind of really take off and where they've transferred that I would see them going to the next level. So, yeah, it's all, it's such a hard thing to guess. <laughs> right. I think, well, to just kind of jump on Avina, she's going to be eligible for the WNBA draft after this year, having sat out last season. I think she was actually technically eligible to go to the WNBA this off season, but obviously it wouldn't have made any sense to do that. I know Azare got kind of raked across the coals by UConn fans and they were pretty upset that she left early. And to a certain extent, I think there was a story somewhere that said Gino was totally shocked when he gave her the news. He totally didn't expect her to go early. I think if Avina like knows for sure or has a pretty good idea that she's going to be a first round draft pick next year, I don't think she should consider going. I think it would be almost career negligence not to go because you have the injury history that she did kind of like Morgan Tuck. And just in general, you've got such a limited window to make money as a professional athlete. If she's going to be a first round pick, I see no reason why she shouldn't go pro early and it's not like she'd be hanging UConn out to dry either because they've got a ton of depth in the backcourt like Nico Mule might be one of the better freshmen and she might not even be able to see the court just because of how many guards they have so if Avina's to a level and healthy enough where she is going to be a first rounder at some point I think she should definitely go next year but getting back to the original point yeah, Avina is a really tough one to project just because we haven't seen her. I think Liv and Kristen are probably both top five picks. They're both mm-hmm. definitely on that track to be some to be all Americans, pretty much. I also feel pretty good about Aubrey and Anna from what we've not just from what we've seen, but the way that you've seen in the past UConn players develop and how they continue to get better and better. I just don't see any way either of them completely stall out or anything like that over the next three years that's a really long time they were both really good players this year mm-hmm. whereas you think about Megan Walker, like they were both significantly better players than True. Megan Walker and Crystal were as freshmen so I think both of them probably end up there too the freshmen yeah that definitely like Paige is I don't want to say she's guaranteed because obviously four years, well, not to freak anyone out, but she is eligible to leave early too. <laughs> four years is a far way off. I don't, I really like Aaliyah. I haven't seen Aaliyah Edwards 
play one second of basketball, <laughs> but I think she's going to be really good. She, I, just from what Gino says, she kind of reminds me of Nafisa as a player who came in as a wing, but has the athleticism and the height to play down low. So that's kind of my comparison for her. So I think she ends up in the WNBA and I, I don't know. I'll pick one more person from that freshman class. I, I don't know who it'll be. It could be any of them, I think. So I don't think I said anything about Avina. I think Avina gets picked somewhere. She, even if it's only like a third round pick. Uh, okay. How many is that? So three, three juniors, two sophomores, it's five. And then I think I picked three freshmen. So eight, eight out of 11 get drafted on that team. That's my prediction. Okay. It's a lot. <laughs> I feel like well, I wonder what the last team like was the 2015 or so team probably had at least eight that got drafted eventually or not 26 no, yeah, 2016 no. had a ridiculous number of first rounders mm-hmm. I think no well just in general that team I think everyone but the walk-ons and I think only Courtney Eckmark was the only non-scholarship player not to get picked in the WNBA draft because you have the big three, Stewie, Mariah, and Morgan Tuck. Mm-hmm. Then Kia Nurse and Gabby. Yep. Sanaya was a third-round pick. Mm-hmm. Natalie Butler was a third-round pick. People forget after she transferred to George Mason. And then Fia Lou were both first-rounders. So yeah, that's... I think nine. So okay, but then again, that's also the 2016 team, which, to my money, is the greatest team of all time. So yep. maybe necessarily all eight players don't get picked in the first round, but I think it would be a surprise just on sheer numbers alone if only Paige is the if Paige is the only freshman to end okay. up in the WNBA. Even though we're projecting way out. Okay, next question. <laughs> this rapid. Lo- or this lightning round is going real quick. <laughs> Who do you think is the highest pick out of this team in the WNBA? Ooh, um, I'm going to go either Kristen or Paige. It's just too early to tell Paige. I feel like everyone thinks that at some point she's going to be like a number one pick, but I mean, it's, she hasn't played a minute of college basketball yet. So it's a little early to say that, but I could for sure see Kristen being kind of a top pick. If she's especially if she, her game is at the level she's kind of alluding to going into this year, and both her and Liv are not eligible to leave early, so they have a full another year after this one too. Right. I'm not saying this will happen, but hypothetically, could have a three way tie here, where like Kristen or Liv goes number one, and then Aubrey or Anna goes number one, and then Paige goes number one. I think, I think it might actually be Liv. How many super athletic? shot blocking bigs can you really get nowadays like lauren cox was a big that came out this year but she doesn't have the athleticism that nelson adota has hebert and sabali from oregon i don't think they really have the size that nelson adota has so if she can get to a level where she's an all-american one of the best centers in the country just her skill set i think is going to be really really enticing to wnba teams yeah that's fair I think I'm just trying to think of like other players that are going to come out around the same time too there's going to that's going to be a big factor I think too you've got players like Aliyah Boston that's kind of in that elite center category I don't know if she's eligible to come out early as she she is she could be in that same year 
you've got Ryan Howard at Kentucky, who's not center, but like a phenomenal player, probably a, you know, top three pick, whatever year she goes out. I think she's eligible yeah. this year, but um, so yeah, a handful of other players that are going to, when they go out, is definitely going to play into kind of who gets the highest picks. And then we'll just do one more. Who do you think has the best career in the WNBA? <sighs> so hard <laughs> it's it's so difficult because like other than living Kristen, you haven't seen any of these players play that much college basketball <laughs> oh i could see it being lived just because kind of like what you were saying for her being like the top pick and there's just not as many like true centers that come out of the college game anymore and you know not a lot of athletic big players like that so it's kind of a unique role um something that a lot of teams will be looking for so yeah, I think I'll go with that. I think also a lot of your like kind of elite centers in the league right now are a little bit older, getting closer to retirement with the exception of like Stewie and Asia. So yeah, I could see it being love. I'm just going to go with a really basic pick and say Paige. <laughs> like if she's as good as everyone says she's supposed to be, then she's going to be right. like a Stewie level talent coming out. And I guess she could have been the answer to the last question too of the highest pick. Because if she's going to be that good, she's going to be the number one pick. Right. But yeah, I feel like she's the mind, the name that comes to mind first, but that I'm just like so hesitant to like say it's going to be her when you haven't seen her play literally a single minute of college basketball yet. Right. Like, I mean, we could talk about Paige forever, but I, what I keep going back to when I write something about Paige or when I'm talking about Paige is that it's like, okay, she's a freshman and we know that freshmen have a hard time here. But then the second thought that always comes to my mind when I say that is like, but at the same time, she's supposed to be as good as like Stewie and Diana Taurasi and Maya Moore. Although I, I don't think you can compare any freshman to Maya Moore. She was <laughs> the one of the best players in the country as a freshman and that's rarely happens. So then like you try and adjust your expectations and it's like, well, maybe I should be expecting better things than just a typical freshman year. But then again, Kristen wasn't supposed to be a transcendent talent and she had a pretty good freshman year, but right. she's clearly not at like a Stewie. Le I don't know. I just want to be able to see Paige Beckers play basketball. Exactly. Like just to, <laughs> so like, obviously it'll be exciting, but just so we actually know what she is. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like good to like temper expectations, but even Stewie had ups and downs her freshman year, her freshman she year. Like by seven the end minutes of it, yeah. yeah. Against Baylor. Seven minutes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Imagine that stare down she must have gotten in practice the week before <laughs> to only play seven minutes. Yeah. And then just casually leads the team to the national championship a month later. Exactly. So anything can happen. But yeah, I'm just excited to get to see Paige and these other freshmen actually play basketball to kind of get an idea of where everyone is and what to expect a little bit more. Right. I think the latest I saw today was that they're proposing like November 25th as a start date or something. So. Yeah, so we can talk about that. I was going to say that the next time we podcast is going to be right around September 14th, 15th, which is when the NCAA is going to be proposing and voting on a start date to the college basketball season. So according to John Rothstein, the Men's and Women's Basketball Oversight Committee will propose a start date of November 25th to the Division One Council for the 2021 college basketball season. And they are also going to propose no scrimmages or exhibitions due to COVID-19. So really for 
what we've seen with college football and all the bubbles and everything like that, moving it back to November 25th really doesn't seem that bad and doesn't seem that far off. No, it doesn't. It's, I don't know, it's a weird proposal to me because the season usually starts, what, like November 10th? So we're just like moving yeah. it like 15 days. I don't really know what the purpose of that is, but I guess it is what it is. Um, I think if we get actual college basketball by November 25th, everyone should be pretty happy. So <laughs> I think the idea behind it is that I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's like Thanksgiving week. And I think most of the colleges that are actually in school and in session are sending all the kids home, all the other students home. So you'd be able to start the season when there's no other students on campus besides really just the basketball players. And as we've seen from UConn's and I guess everywhere else's first couple weeks of having students back, you can't trust general average Joe students to be safe. So I think it's more just to have the environment of the campuses be safer for the students at least i i read that somewhere that's not my own thought i'm not that smart but <laughs> no that does make sense though because the 25th is like the wednesday before thanksgiving so it makes sense that like kind of everyone clears out by that date um and yeah like we've seen it at pretty much every college campus though i would argue that you can't seem to trust the general american public to be safe so <laughs> why we're putting so much blame on like 18 year olds i'm not really sure anyway um yeah, that makes sense. Right. Clearly, just none of us should be trusted in it. <laughs> That's the moral of the story here. <laughs> exactly. Well, hopefully next time we podcast, we'll have an actual answer of when college basketball season is going to be. Because once we have a date, that means a preseason is going to get set. And I guess it sucks that we're not going to have any exhibition because that's kind of when you get to see some of the more fringe players. But if we have a date for when college basketball is ready to start next time we pod, it'll be cause for celebration. Yeah, exactly. A date. And we can start talking about schedules and all that fun stuff that everyone wants to be talking about. There's not even a schedule. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So hopefully by next time we have a date. (laughs) And maybe a single game that we can look forward to or tournament bubble. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't pay me to make these decisions, unfortunately. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Make sure to subscribe to Chasing Perfection and give us a rating. Share it with all your other UConn friends. Share it with your non-UConn friends. If people want to hate, listen, <laughs> I'll accept it. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. You can find a link to that on the UConn blog. Megan, any last thoughts? That's it. We'll see you next time. Um, you finished talking about giant cookies and then we're asking something. Although I think using her as an example, this is, she is pretty much a good example of why the new, what am I trying to say? The new W, the dude. can never last wake me up when september ends
Like my father's come to pass Seven years has gone so fast Wake me up when September ends Here comes the rain again Falling from the stars Drenched in my pain again Becoming who we are As my memory rests But never forgets what I lost Wake me up